This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Today's podcast, we'll be talking about new sport and why sport has to change and continue to change. This is a topic I've been talking about now for almost 10 years. And over the last two, maybe three years, it's gained a lot of momentum and a lot of traction as sports and sporting organisations, coaches and clubs start to wake up to the fact that the number of kids involved in competitive Sport, the ones that are involved in training and competing in traditional forms of organised competitive sport, the number of kids involved in that is dwindling. And it happens all over the world. Now, I'm lucky that I get to travel all around the globe and talk to people involved in sport about what they're seeing and what they're feeling in the industry. And when I go to places, people say, Wayne, look, you don't understand. It's, it's, we live in an area of rural or regional Australia, and the number of kids involved in athletics in our region has fallen dramatically. And it's terrible to see people suffering, people who are passionate volunteer amateurs in that area suffering so much because they can see what's happening to their sport. And I don't know whether I'm giving them any, any compassion or helping them in any way, but I'll often say to them, look, it is terrible what's happening. I feel sorry, but look, it's happening all over the world because we know, for example, the number of kids who are playing rugby in New Zealand has dropped. The number of kids who are playing rugby league in Sydney has dropped. The number of kids who are doing competitive swimming in many, many parts of the world has dropped significantly. And the same patterns are happening all over the world. The number of kids who are connecting with, engaging with, training for, competing in organised competitive sport, particularly those with traditional forms of sport, are finding it very, very difficult. And the number of kids that are involved in those sports are dropping dramatically. The next question then becomes, well, what do we do about it? Now, what happens around the world is this concept called benchmarking, where sports will look and say, well, look, we're struggling. We, we're seeing a huge decline in a number of kids doing gymnastics in Canada, for example, or somewhere like that. And they say, let's go and have a look and see what's happening in Germany or the United Kingdom. Let's go and have a look and see what other nations are doing. And because of that international obsession with benchmarking to try and find out what other people are doing. We've created an international culture of copying. And what that means now is if one nation gets it wrong, every nation gets it wrong. If the UK have got it wrong, everybody else will follow. They'll copy because there's an assumption that UK has been doing so many good things and they have in some areas. But there's this assumption that if I go there and I copy them and I bring it back home, that will fix everything. And because we've all bought in to this culture of copying, that if one nation gets it wrong, every nation gets it wrong. And so what we see is a familiar pattern, a sport, or a government identifies that the number of kids in organised competitive sport has dropped. They do their benchmarking trip and they come back and say, well, you know what I'm seeing is we need to get out and do some marketing. We need to convince the community that sport is still good, sport is fun, and you need to be involved. 
Now those mass marketing campaigns to get kids back involved in organised competitive sport just haven't worked. Something else that governments and sporting organisations and clubs have tried all over the world is what we call modified sport, where they've come up with a shortened, usually more faster, more engaging, shorter version of their game, and they've modified their actual sport and said, instead of having 10 versus 10, let's have five versus five. Instead of having 15 versus 15, let's have nine versus nine. Let's make it quarters instead of halves. Let's make it 30 minutes instead of 90 minutes. Let's make it shorter, sharper, faster, more engaging for your kids involved and call it something else like super duper whiz bang rugby or mega modified amazing gymnastics or come up with some really sexy name that might get people engaged. What's starting to emerge over the last 12 months is those modified versions of traditional sports haven't worked either. If they've worked, they've worked for a very short period of time, they've worked specifically in that modified version of the game and haven't transferred to the more traditional, broader forms of the game and haven't made a significant long-term impact on the number of kids playing that sport. Those things just haven't worked. A friend of mine who's a very, very smart sports administrator says this, it's no good coming up with a great solution to the wrong problem. It's no good coming up with a great solution to the wrong problem. Now stop for a moment and think about what's happened. Sure, the data is everywhere that the number of kids in organised traditional competitive sport has fallen. Marketing hasn't made an impact. It hasn't really made a difference. The modified sports route hasn't made the sort of impact that we thought it might have made. What's left? Well, what's left is understanding what the problem really is. Engineers don't walk away from engineering. They walk away from their boss. They walk away from their manager. They walk away from their CEO. They walk away from their leader, their work environment or the people they work with. People don't tend to walk away from industries. They don't tend to even walk away from companies. There's very few people that say, I think I'll leave the company because I disagree with their long-term strategic plan for fiscal responsibility. People will leave their jobs because they don't like their boss, they don't like the people they work with, they don't like the way that their job is working out for them. And they go and look for an environment, for an experience or for some relationships that will deliver those things. The data on sport is very, very clear. People are not leaving rugby, they're not leaving basketball, they're not leaving swimming. They're leaving the relationships and the experiences that the sport is providing for them. They're not leaving the sport. They're leaving the way the sport experience has been delivered. The question then becomes, who is responsible? Who are the people responsible for delivering the experiences and relationships to the majority of people involved in organised competitive sport? There are four groups of people. The first group is coaches. Coaches are wonderful human beings. They spend their life selflessly trying to help other people be as much or even more than they ever thought possible. 
The majority of coaches around the world are volunteer amateurs who are just passionate about helping people, helping kids particularly, to be all that they can be. But the majority of coaches don't get coaching. And you know what? It's not their fault. It's the fault of people like me. And it's the fault of the people who've been driving coach education and coach development around the world pretty much since the 1980s. We made the mistake of making coaching too much about science. Now, my training is exercise science, and I've led the National Sports Science, Sports Medicine and Innovation Committees for four Olympic sports. I get sports science and I understand it and I'm a passionate believer in it. But we made the mistake of making coaching, particularly beginning coaching, level one coaching, entry level coaching, grassroots coaching, we made the mistake of making coaching about science when it's not. Beginning coaching, level one coaching, grassroots coaching, entry level coaching, whichever way you describe it, is about inspiring the hearts and minds of kids. It's about making training interesting and engaging. It's about building relationships and friendships, about making the enjoyment safe and enjoyable, about making coaching fun. That's what beginning coaching is all about. And we made a mistake, and unfortunately in many, many countries and many sports, they continue to make the same mistake. When a coach who just wants to learn how do I coach a nine-year-old basketballer or a six-year-old football player attends a training course, a coaching course, what do we do? We do two hours of exercise physiology and teach them ATP, CP and VO2 max and oxygen transport and so on. Then we do two hours of biomechanics and sports techniques. Then we do sports psychology and periodization and planning. None of those things will help that coach become a better coach with young children. Why do kids go to sport. The data has been around for a long, long time. They do it because they love it, because they want to make friends, because they want to learn new things, because they want to enjoy themselves, because they want to get fit. They're the reasons we know kids are motivated to go training and therefore at grassroots beginning coaching level, that's the key for coaching. So the first problem we've got that we need to fix in sport is we've got to change the way we coach coaches to coach. The focus of coaching coaches at grassroots must shift from being sports science-based to being fun, fitness, families, just fabulous, and all about an engaging, enjoyable, and safe experience. That's the key to coaches coaching more effectively at that level. The sports science has to come in at some stage maybe in mid-teens, maybe once the athlete has decided, yep, that's what I want to do, I want to be successful, I want to challenge myself, I'm aspirational, I want to be the best I can be. But there's a great line I love, which is this, the only kid who can't get better is the one who is not there. And at the moment, we know from the data, the number of kids is falling and nothing that we've tried, nothing we've been doing is turning that around. And the reason why we haven't been able to turn it around is that we haven't solved the real problem. The problem is not the sport. There's nothing wrong with your sport. There's nothing wrong with your sport. It's the way we're delivering it. And that first critical area we've got to fix is coaching coaches. 
The second area that we need to fix, the second group of people who are responsible for delivering experiences and relationships are officials, umpires, referees, officials. Once again, they're remarkable people. They're volunteers, they're amateurs, they're passionate. They give up their time for nothing. Most of them have to buy their own equipment, buy their own whistles. But they're, they're remarkable people. I am not criticising officials or I'm not criticising coaches. I'm criticising the way that we've provided training, education and development for officials and for coaches. The mistake that we made with officials is we made it all about officiating and not about relationship building. And I want to give you a very, very specific example from the sport of swimming. Swimming can be highly technical. And the way that officiating is delivered around the world is to more or less insist that the level of technical proficiency that's expected from even relatively young kids, eight, nine, 10 years of age, is that of a senior athlete. They're expecting those officials are trained to officiate to a very high technical standard. And typically what will happen in a stroke like breaststroke or butterfly, the kid will make a minor technical error, but under the way that the officials were trained, they have very little choice and almost no flexibility other than to disqualify the child. And it can be for such a minor, a tiny infringement, but the way that they are trained, the way that they're coached to be officials, if you like, is to follow the letter of the law, the international FINA regulations in their case. And so this eight, nine-year-old kid gets out of the water, big smile on their face. They've just finished their first one lap, two lap race. They're so excited and they get disqualified for a minor, minor technical deficiency that in the scheme of things doesn't give them a particular advantage or disadvantage. And it's something that's going to be fixed over the course of time in coaching. I'll often say to those officials, you have a choice, you really do. You can be someone who grows sport, you can be someone who kills sport. You can say to that eight or nine year old child, you're disqualified out of the pool. You can say to that child, great swim, fantastic effort, I can see how you're improving. There's a couple of things you need to work on at coaching. I'm really proud of the effort that you've made and here's a voucher for an ice cream to show how much I appreciate and value how you're working to get better at swimming. You're still officiating. One is building sport, one is inspiring change, one is growing the sport, one is killing it off. So the second big change we have to make in sport is to change the way we coach our officials. Officials are there not to officiate. They're there to grow sport. They're there to build relationships. They're there to educate. They're there to help little kids to get better. They're not there to jump on them and enforce the absolute strict letter of the law. I mean, think about it in terms of the law. If some 11-year-old kid gets caught with a tiny pocket knife, they don't throw them in jail. They get a warning from the police. They get a little lecture about safety, about being kind. They get a warning and they get some education from the police involved or from the teacher or whoever's caught them with their tiny pocket knife about safety, about the importance of being a member of the community that doesn't put anyone else at risk. They get a talk, they get education. They don't say, you were caught with a pocket knife, out you get, you don't come to school anymore. Now on the same token, 
officials are there to grow relationships, to build the sport, to build connections and to educate. And that's critical. And that comes back not to the officials. The officials are doing what they were taught to do by the people who train officials. We have to change the way we train our officials. The third group who's responsible for those relationships and those experiences are grassroots club administrators, those who are running grassroots clubs. The feedback, again, is very consistent around the world. Kids, but more importantly, parents walk away from the experience of sport. They leave clubs because of consistent bad experiences with junior grassroots club officials. Where they see that, for example, there's inequity in selection processes, where they see real inefficiency with communication, where they see breakdown in communication where they're not informed about things. Parents will start to think, I don't hear from these guys. I think that there's some interesting, maybe bias selection processes going on where people who are connected to the club seem to get preferential treatment or my child doesn't get fair and equitable treatment. And the parents start to think about that. And just as importantly, they talk about it. I often say to, to young clubs, the clubs that are working with junior athletes, imagine it's a barbecue on a Saturday night and a group of parents are standing around enjoying a glass of wine or a beer and they're talking. And one of them says, what did you guys do today? And one of them says, we went to our club. The game started late. There was no referee. The lines weren't marked. We weren't even sure about whether our child was in the A team or the B team until we got there because nobody tells us what's going on. We were supposed to play on this ground, but in the end they changed it to the other ground. And then they said to my child, you couldn't play because you had blue socks instead of green socks. It's an awful club, we're not going back. Are you that club? Or think about another parent who says, man, our club is fantastic. When we get there, someone comes up and greets us. They tell us exactly where we've got to go. They've always got coffee on for the parents. We get a chance right before the game to say hello to the coach. The coach is always organised. We know exactly where we're going to be. We know exactly when our boys will be playing or where our girls will be on the field. And it's wonderful. And we connect really good as parents. You should come to our club. What club are you? Are you the club that's got outstanding relationships and great experiences for kids and families, or are you the one that's still dabbling around where people on the committee get preferential treatment, where kids who don't have exactly the right gear are disqualified? What club are you? Once again, I'm not being critical of club administrators. They are doing what they were taught to do. If you look at the way sporting organisations and federations have communicated with clubs, it's always been around programs. Do this, do that, follow this, obey that. I don't know of too many national sporting federations, state or regional sporting organisations who go at the clubs and say, what can we do to help? How can we help you function more effectively? What do you need from us in your specific circumstance? Normally they apply what we call trickle-down sport. Normally a national body or a state body says, this program is all you need to do and they just roll it out, one size fits all, generic solution to every problem and then the clubs look at it and say, well, we'll try and figure it out. No, those days are over. We have to be better at coaching coaches to coach, 
officials to officiate and club administrators to administer, deliver the experience of sport. The fourth group that we need to make an impact on, the fourth group who's impacted in most cases and many cases very negatively on the experience of sport are parents. For the last 25 years, I've traveled the world doing sporting parents lectures, workshops, seminars with groups of sporting parents. Everywhere I go, it's exactly the same issues. Parents with unrealistic expectations of their child's potential. Parents with a desire to see that six-year-old who's just picked up a tennis racket play on the tour and win Wimbledon. Parents of six-year-olds who see them kick a football and immediately assume they're one step away from playing Premier League football in England. Those issues are universal. Still amazes me when I go to a country and they'll say, oh, Wayne, you don't understand the parents here. Uh, They've all got high aspirations for their kids. Uh, They're all pushing their kids too hard. They're all making sure that their kids get the best possible opportunity, whatever that looks like. I hear the same stories and have heard it for a quarter of a century. I hear a lot of people talk about parent education and the time is now. The time is now. We need to talk to parents about doing their job as parents. And their job's very, very clear. Their job is to unconditionally love, value, and accept their children for who they are, not for what they do. To move away from the concept of being aspirational in the way they parent to being inspirational in the way they parent. To base their parenting on love and kindness and compassion and respect and understanding and value and acceptance of their child for who they are as a human being not for what they can or might be able to do one day on the sporting field, in the pool, on the court or in any other sporting environment. This important factor comes out everywhere I go and with every parent seminar that I deliver. The way that parents think is largely due to the proliferation of that philosophy, that concept called the pathway. The pathway was a model that came out of Canada and the UK and has been copied and replicated around the world, which basically said, when kids take up sport, they should be on a logical long-term development road uh, pathway from starting to becoming highly successful. The original intent behind the pathway was very good and it was very well designed, but it's been misinterpreted and poorly applied around the world to be then implemented with the belief that every kid who kicks a football will be on a path to being a professional. Every kid who jumps on a pool is on the pathway to becoming an Olympic gold medalist. And as a result, because we've sold that philosophy so broadly, so well, and universally, parents around the world have caught on and they now believe that kids must be on the pathway at all costs. We're seeing some ridiculous things that are happening. There are kids as young as five years of age being put into elite academy pathway programs. Kids who can't even tie their shoes being put in high performance academy programs around the world. 
the reason why they do so well, the reason why those junior sports academies are proliferating and are making a lot of money is that parents are vulnerable. Parents are so vulnerable to that message that, hey, their child might be the one. Their child might be the next world record holder, might be the next Olympic champion, might be the next professional, might be the next NBA star. They're vulnerable to those messages. But in reality, it's not going to make a difference for the majority of athletes. And in fact, it's going to increase the likelihood that those child, that child, those children will drop out of sport by their early to mid-teens. Early specialisation has been shown over and over again to be a pathway to one thing, early dropout rate, increasing the rate of dropout at a younger and younger age. But we need to educate parents to understand what it is that parenting is all about in sport, and we focus on helping them to understand how they can be outstanding sporting parents. So sport has changed, but it needed to. But the way that we've responded to that change has not worked. The marketing has not changed and made a difference. The modified sports route has not worked. The reason it hasn't worked is we tried to come up with a great solution to the wrong problem. The problem has been identified. It's very clear. Kids and families are walking away, not from sport. There's nothing wrong with your sport. They're walking away from the experiences and the relationships that we've provided in sport. And the four groups of people who have provided those relationships experiences have been coaches, officials, club administrators, and parents. So naturally, if you want to succeed, if you want your club, your sporting organisation, your association to turn around these trends of falling participation, the absolute focus has to be on the training, education and development of coaches, officials, grassroots administrators and parents to change the way they deliver the experience of your sport. One of the lines that I often give to boards when I'm talking to sporting boards is this, You are not the sport. The CEO is not the sport. The national body is not the sport. The sport is whoever is delivering the experience of sport to the end users, to the grassroots end users of the sport. If the coach is terrible, if the coach is ineffective, if the coach doesn't get coaching, if the coaching can't build relationships with athletes and kids, that coach is your sport. That's the way your sport's being delivered. Often draw a parallel with McDonald's. No one knows who's on the board of McDonald's. No one has any idea who the CEO of McDonald's is. McDonald's is that kid that greets you when you walk in and says, would you like fries with your Big Mac? And if that kid is terrible at their job, if they're rude, if they're disrespectful, if they don't know their product, if they don't engage, if they don't smile, if they overcharge, if the food is cold when it gets to you and in a broken bag, that is McDonald's. That moment, that experience, that kid, that person, that is McDonald's. And if you want to know why your sport is struggling, it's not your leadership, it's not the sport, it's the way the sport's being delivered. Invest, invest, invest in the training, education and development of the people who are delivering the relationships and experiences of your sport at grassroots level and it will turn around. Everything will change. Invest in people. Don't 
keep wasting money on programs. Invest in your people. Invest in their capability to inspire, to engage, to connect and to build quality relationships and your sport will thrive well into the future. This has been Wayne Goldsmith. This is Sports Thoughts. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more Sports Thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.